Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Yo, yo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. I am your host, Justin Russo. And joining me once again after a hiatus for various reasons due to holidays, due to COVID stuff going on, due to schedule, due to driving, due to not getting enough sleep and want, and being walking zombies, Tomer Zarley joins me. Tomer, what's going on, my man? How you been? What you been up to? You know, everything's going on. How's, how you how you doing, buddy? Uh, I've been better. Um, I've been better, but everything is good right now. Uh, enjoyed the holidays, had some, some decent time off. Um, so yeah, everything's well in mind. Got to, got to, you know, call of duty up, watch a few movies as well. So it's been good. How about yourself? I too, myself have been using call of duty as a minuscule escape from the real world. It's been great to blow off steam on that end. And then I've watched a couple movies. I've just been taking time off. I shouldn't have left listeners in the lurch for a whole month, but I apologize. He doesn't care about Um, you. It's true. I mean... I, I'm going to be honest with people. I've been very lazy. I've been uh, worrying about my mental health at times because of everything going on. So I apologize to those uh, who have missed the podcast because I haven't dropped an episode in a month. I'm trying my best to change that. I know I've told you guys, oh, I'm going to try to record twice a week and all this stuff. I, I can't make you promises. I'm trying. Um, I'm going to try my very best to be motivated enough to give you guys more podcasts. I promise you that. That's all I can promise you is I'll try to get motivated at this point. That's where I'm at in my life with COVID and everything going on. Um, I too have watched movies. Uh, the most recent one I watched was Matrix uh, Resurrections in theaters. And then before that, I watched Spider-Man No Way Home twice in theaters. So yeah, those were good experiences. Twice. Yeah, so I went Thursday, the Thursday it dropped, and then I went the next Tuesday where the theater by my house has like $5 movies. Hey, that sounds pretty sick. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was able to watch, in the last month I actually watched, what, uh, uh, Homecoming, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man, excuse me, what's, what's that other one? I think it's, it's far, uh, far From Home or No Way Home? Far From Which Home. Is, far From, far from Home, home and then No Way Home is the third one. All right, so uh, I watched Far From Home at home. Um, and then I watched The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 with Andrew Garfield because sources told me I needed to watch that. Uh, and then I watched a five-minute recap of Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 3. Uh, and then I watched... Hold on, hold on, hold on. You watched a five-minute recap of Spider-Man 3? So I watched it. I mean, that was like my childhood. So I, I watched it a few times when I was a kid, but I, I didn't want to watch the entire movie all over again because. Okay. I you just need, so you need like, like the refresher, like the cliff notes. Yeah, kind of yeah. Just kind of the you know the update, and then you know I, I watched. Um, well, before No Time to Die came out in October, I watched all the previous Daniel Craig movies, and then uh, I said I was going to watch No Time to Die, and then I just never got to it. So I watched uh, I watched No Time to Die actually the other day like a few days ago like oh actually yesterday, um, and I needed the you know the, the sky the Spectre recap as well for that. Uh, no Time to Die was uh, was uh, I mean, it was good it was good it was uh, I had mixed emotions, but uh, it was good it was 
don't know if you want to start with the movie talk or end with the movie talk, so I'll let you decide on no, that. No, we can start with it. We can start with it. Like, if people, I mean, I think people generally enjoy movie talk for the most part. Like, you said you had mixed emotions about it. What what, what was mixed for you? Well, I mean, I'm just, this is a major spoiler alert, so I would mute this if you haven't seen, but also it's been like three and a half months, so um, sorry, this is your fault. Um, I just didn't think they were going to end it the way they ended it. Um, it. It felt a lot like Dark, Dark Knight Rise, Dark, yeah, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, where it seems like, um, you know, he dies and then he comes out and is living happily ever after. He kind of makes it out. That's where I thought they were headed with this. I thought I thought he would eventually get off the island, um, you know, secretly or whatever way he would somehow get out of there. And he just didn't. And uh, the, the final, what is it? Um, final f- 10 minutes of that movie were extremely emotional. Um I actually very, I actually very really emotional the, and depressing. Yeah, I actually I, I think when people when Bond for, when he be, first became Bond, people were like, "Oh, he's blonde. Oh, he's this is that." I actually really liked him in Casino Royale and all the subsequent movies uh, as well. And so I thought, you know, I also thought it was it was it was incredible that they actually made each Bond movie uh, connected to the other because I think before this, all of them were kind of standalones. Um, if I remember correctly, I don't think you really needed to watch the previous one to understand what was going on in this one. But all these, like you didn't, I don't think you had a good grasp of what was going on unless you watched the previous one. So I like that they did that. Um, I, as far as like plot, hole, I, I don't think this might've been like one of the, one of the sets, like five movie set that I've seen that doesn't really have any plot holes and it's kind of just perfect. Um, every Bond villain was pretty well explained. Every Bond villain had a good motive. Um, all of them were, were, were pretty passionate. And I think the actual acting was really good. The stunts were fantastic. So, um, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was amazing. Again, the only mixed emotion part is that I just didn't think they were going to end it that way. Uh, I thought he would made it out, make it out alive somehow. And he didn't. So, so my thoughts on it were that if Skyfall like if Skyfall and No Time to Die swapped places somehow, I think that would be the perfect ending to the saga. Like I understand how No Time to Die ends kind of puts a neat little bow on everything, but I think that Skyfall was the best one and from like a story arc standpoint, if like of everything that it described, if that would have been the end, I think it would have been a little bit better. But I will say, the star across the entire saga is Christoph Waltz with his rendition of uh, Blofeld. Especially in the final movie, in No Time to Die, he's only in it for like three minutes, and he's incredible. Yeah, he's uh, Christoph Waltz is really good. I, I enjoyed, uh, I'm, I'm a big Ralph Fiennes fan, and I thought he was always really good in the final two or three movies, whichever one. Of, uh, yeah, it was three movies. Um, and... Uh, I guess, um, yeah, it's tough. I, I, I think, the, I, I don't know about swapping the movies like that. I, I just think that when you have, uh, I, I like that they gave a womanizer essentially emotions, which no Bond has really ever had um, in, I don't think, the entirety of their series. This is the one that really had emotions and was only really in love with like two women, the entire series, the entire five episodes. So um, I thought that was also an interesting change. Like they made him, they made him more human. They made him more you know, family man. <laughs> remember, I don't know if you remember when he's walking through that tunnel and he goes, uh, hey, I'd like to introduce you to my... And then he turns around and he goes, family man. 
And he like mumbles that to himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit, I have a family. And so that was kind of like, oh, crap. But, dude, I, I thought he was going to get off happily ever after there. And uh, he did not, which disappointed me. But I get why they ended it that way. So, um, but yeah, I think all in all, it was just too fantastic. Do you have a favorite quote from this, like, new saga series, whatever? Oh, favorite quote? My favorite quote is Inspector. Inspector has a lot of great quotes in it. Mm-hmm. But there's a line uh, that Christoph Waltz delivers to Daniel Craig where he says, it was me, James, the author of All Your Pain. And that's one of the greatest line deliveries probably in, in like a Bond movie or movies in general. Uh, I will say, I don't think it's any like one line. I'll, I'll give you two that, that, that I really enjoy, two kind of moments. So in Skyfall, when James is tied up in in that big room, uh, before what's his name? Silva walks downstairs. He takes the elevator, and if you remember that entire walkthrough as he's telling the story about the rats and the coconuts, it's shot in one scene. He's slowly walking up, and that entire thing—I think it's about two, I think it's about three and a half minutes—and it's just one shot. And I thought that was incredible. That was an incredible, like three minutes of of just film where he's telling a story. He's delivering it very well. Um, I I enjoyed I enjoyed that. I don't think it's like one liner, but it's it's obviously just like a moment. I thought that was interesting. Especially when he gets to the end of the story and he just ends up by saying, and then you open the bag and you let the two out. Yeah, except they're no longer eating coconuts. They eat rats. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought those were fantastic. And then I guess the last one is that um the second one for me is is the opening line in No Time to Die is is we've got all the time in the world after she says, Can you go faster? And the final line he's is, is is she just says we just need more time and he goes you have all the time in the world. Uh, I thought that was pretty. Oh, I did. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, the opening line. The opening line in the movie. She goes, "Can you can you drive faster?" And he goes, "No, we have all the time in the world." And then the final line for him is, "You've got all the time in the world," which was, uh, yeah, pretty fantastic. So, um, I think those are my two. Well, I appreciate everyone joining in for uh, Bond talk and we will see. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Basically though, the Bond movies with Daniel Craig were incredible. Um, how were your holidays, by the way? How was Christmas? Uh, how was, how was the new year? I mean, well, you and I spent new year by just covering a basketball game. So, you know, whatever. But, well, the Clippers couldn't give us, um, couldn't give us Christmas off because Paul George, uh, his injury was announced. And so we kind of had to go into what does this mean mode? Um, so we kind of just, yeah, what a I weird at least thing, some, right? <laughs> especially considering they had, I believe, two days off before Christmas, which is also a day off. So, um, I mean, it was cool. It was, it was fine. Just got to see, got to see some some friends over the last couple. Excuse me, last couple of weeks. Um, got to hang out with with, with some of my uh, best friends' family. Um, so, nothing really, you know, out of the ordinary. Try to try to also just keep it very minimal, considering uh, how wild. Um, and the Crown is in Los Angeles, so um, that's pretty much it. Not not really too much going on on my end. Just uh, kind of stay at home, watch some movies, eat some, you know, order some takeout, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, seriously, everyone, hopefully, please stay safe while this is still ravaging everything. Since we last talked, the Clippers went eight and eight. The last time you and I talked on a podcast, um, the Clippers were one game over five hundred. This time, we're talking on a podcast; they're one game over five hundred. So really nothing has changed in that regard, like just record wise, <laughs> at least. Um, but so much has changed behind the scenes. Paul George has a torn UCL. They're five and six without him this season, which is actually pretty good considering 
the level of competition that they have played. Um, there's no real timeline on when he could return because they said three to four weeks, he'll be reevaluated and then they'll discuss things from there. My take on it. And this is an injury that happens to pitchers in baseball where they require to get Tommy John surgery and they're out for 18 months. But in basketball, it's different because in baseball, it's a thrower's injury in basketball. You don't really throw as much as push. So, I mean, I don't think there's going to be surgery unless it's deemed absolutely necessary. However, I I think it's one of those things where like he sits out for six weeks and then possibly returns or he's out just for the whole year as a precaution. You never know. But Paul George is out. The Clippers are getting hammered by COVID. Um, They've had seven, eight different players or something like that enter COVID protocols over the last couple of weeks. They lost Ty Lue due to COVID uh, protocols in the last couple of days. It has just been one of the worst stints I've seen the Clippers have as far as like an injuries or COVID standpoint in quite a while, maybe ever, just simply because when you really look at it, they're not just losing end of the bench guys. Like they're losing end of the bench guys and they're losing key contributors and but the end of the bench guys became key contributors because the key contributors also went out. So it's like they've been playing without Nicholas Batum. Uh, they've been playing lately without Brandon Boston Jr. due to health and safety. Batum had a right ankle sprain. Isaiah Hartenstein's been out for a while with a left ankle sprain. Luke Kennard was out for a game with a hip issue. Now he's out with health and safety protocols. Kawhi Leonard obviously still hasn't played this season. Jason Preston still hasn't played this season. Jay Scrub was out due to health and safety protocols. Now it looks like he's going to be back on the floor Monday night against Minnesota, possibly. Avita Zubats, who was an Iron Man, had not missed a game, a regular season game for the Clippers, is now in health and safety protocols, and he's missing games. Ty Lue's missing games. Marcus Morris was missing games due to health and safety. Reggie Jackson missed games due to health and safety. You could literally go, like, the only players who've not had to miss games in terms of like health and safety protocols and sh- and stuff like that, Eric Bledsoe's played every game, all 37, and Terrence Mann has missed one game. One game. Everyone else now is starting to add up, and it's very concerning, and there's still a game over 500. So with all that going on, they're a game over 500. They're still fourth in defense. Yes, they're god-awful on offense. They're the fourth worst, tied for the fourth or fifth worst offense in the league. But their fourth best defense is keeping them in games every night, and they have the best clutch offense in the league somehow. I don't know how you have a bottom five offense and the best clutch offense in the league, but somehow the 2021-22 Los Angeles Clippers are somehow doing this. So in some capacity, that should be commended. Eric Bledsoe's taken on a heavy burden as of late. You and I have talked about this several times. Over his last six games, if you just look at everything that Bledsoe's done, Bledsoe started five of the last six games. He's averaging 17 points, six assists, three rebounds, in the, and two steals in those six games, shooting almost 50% from the field. Like, I'm at the point where it's like, if they lose Eric Bledsoe, they might actually be screwed. I mean, Eric Bledsoe's the only guy who's played all 37 games this year. Um, you know, Especially, you know, I think he, he really came up big when 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 Reggie went down with with COVID protocols. He was forced to kind of become the the lead ball handler, and I think I think just the, just in general, the beginning of the year was kind of an adjustment to him, not only being with the new team, but being with a team with so many 
I guess, ball-dominant kind of guys. Like, sure, Reggie and PG can play off the ball 100%, but those are the kind of guys you want to have the ball on your team. So um, I think he had to kind of learn to, to play alongside those guys. And it, it, it's, it's it's come along slowly, but I think he's he's finally gotten a, a good hang of it. And, and, and like I said, when Reggie went down, Eric was really tasked with just um, essentially, you know, a version of here. Here's the keys. Here, here are the keys to the team. Uh, you go run this, the show. You know what I mean? And um, over the last five games as a starter, 19 points, four rebounds, six assists, two and a half steals, shooting 50% from the field and 50% from three. This is the last five games as a starter. The Clippers have gone three and two. And that includes a very, very close loss to the Toronto Raptors on New Year's Eve. So uh, Bledsoe has been everything you kind of could um, expect. I know that he got off to a slow start, like I mentioned, but uh, that was never going to you know, persist like that. He's too good of a player and on too good of a team with too good of a coaching staff to play that poorly. So um, it's good to see him finally get going and kind of kind of just, just put the team on his shoulders a bit. You know, in two, in, in two of the last, I think in the, the Boston road win and the Brooklyn road win in the last three games, of those two wins, he's had 10 points in each of the fourth quarters of those games. Um, so, I mean, he, he's, he's been their closer. He's been the guy who, who comes in and, and, and helps close out these opponents. So, um, Good to see him kind of figure it out. Uh, I, I like that, you know, Terrence Mann has, has picked up his his kind of playmaking and aggressiveness. He's looked a lot more decisive the last couple of games. He's he's not hesitating on some of these three-point shots. He's he's putting more emphasis on attacking in transition, which I think has been good. So um, that's been a very welcome sight. Um, I, I just – the biggest thing is just, just, just team rebounding has just been – I just – no matter whether Zoo or Isaiah or every, it doesn't matter who's playing, they just seem to be a very poor rebounding team. They 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 get a lot of stops. And I think part of it is is that they get so many stops and they're getting stops on second opportunities, but they're oftentimes I feel like giving up third opportunities because they just can't rebound the basketball. Um, and so like their defense is going to look good on paper, but they're just not closing out possessions with rebounds. If there was third chance points instead of second chance points, the Clippers would probably be worse in the league at that. Hundred percent. I mean, just against the Celtics alone, they there was there were a few possessions I remember late in the fourth quarter. The Celtics got like four opportunities, and they missed wide open three pointers. And Jalen Brown was like, "Screw it, I'm going to put my head down, drive to the basket, laid it up." So like, I mean, that's like a minute probably going off the clock. That's four missed threes, but you're still getting two points out of it. So it's like, I guess it, it's kind of tricky there. So their defense has been good. They just need to close it out with rebounds. I think that's the biggest thing, just gang rebounding, rebounding as a team, putting a body on someone. Very basic stuff, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, they, they definitely need to um, get back to just those basics in terms of rebounding. Um, that's kind of my only gripe with this team so far. They they seem to have figured out a bit more of their transition issues to the point where anytime they have a good fast break opportunity, I go, oh, oh, is that so? Um, anytime where, anytime where it's a Miriam sits behind me, one row behind me at Staples Center, anytime where it's Staples Center, I will, I will, and they have a transition opportunity, make or miss, I will turn around and look at Miriam and we'll either go, oh, that was impressive or what the hell just happened? This has been like the last seven or eight games. They've been that bad in transition. So whenever they do have good opportunity transition, I'm, I'm tempted to look behind me and go, where's Miriam? We have to talk about this. Um, <laughs> but they 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 found their stride, but again, um, their their schedule is just gonna get brutal. So um, it I don't. It's almost like you know, like, like I know I'm just kind of rambling, but you know, Ty lose to the other day, um, 
I think it was Miriam who asked him, is it, is it mainly about the teams who are able to adjust the best that are going to kind of make it out of this COVID um, nightmare and, and win these games? And Ty was like, well, you can adjust and adapt all you want. That doesn't mean you're going to win games. So, like, while the Clippers have been able to adjust and adapt uh, probably as best as possible, considering all the guys they have out, uh, all the coaches they have out, Daniel, Dan Craig and, and Ty Lue as well, um, it doesn't mean that it's going to result in wins. So, like, I think people have to understand that with this team, it's it's they're dealing with a lot right now. And uh, it just it, it won't always result in wins. But I think uh, the effort and the and the, you know, the, the energy is always there for the most part. So I think that's one thing you can look forward to with this team. So there's a website you and I've talked about the website before. It's called Shot Quality. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because with all the guys that they're missing and with everything that's gone on at a certain point, you just got to hope you get lucky at times. And their last two wins in Boston and in Brooklyn are the epitome of luck. I'm going to read this to you. According to the website shot quality, the Boston Celtics based, this is just on shots. Each team took from location, defender distance, who took the shot, etc. Based on this, on the data, based on the shots, both teams took the Boston Celtics win that game 88% of the time. And the Clippers win at 12%. According to shot quality, the final score should have been 103 to 90. The score was actually 91-82 Clippers. You then flip that to Brooklyn. According to shot quality, based on the shots both teams took, the Brooklyn Nets also win that game 88% of the time, Clippers 12%. Shot quality final score headed at 120-107 Brooklyn. It comes out 120-116 Clippers. This is what we're talking about when you need to get lucky. Like, you're, you're dealing with all these guys being out. You need some breaks to go your way. And those are two massive breaks because they're the two games. And this is, this is actually insane to look at. When you look at all the games, the Clippers have played this season, all 37 of them, there's only one game that has had a worse win expectancy for the Clippers based on shot quality than those two games. Cause they both were 12%. The game with a worse win percentage, win, ex- win expectancy, I should say, was the first game against Brooklyn. Clippers had a 10% win expectancy. Obviously, they lose that game by 16. Uh, They have a 12% win expectancy in both of these games, and they win them. Like, you need to win those types of games to keep somehow afloat, and they're doing it. I don't know how. You're just going to have to accept it as long as it's happening. Because as things stand, the Clippers have the sixth toughest remaining schedule in the NBA, and this is now a thing that they have to navigate with all these guys being out, this really tough schedule. You need to get every little break. And you look at the projections for postseason. ESPN's uh, BPI, the, the Basketball Power Index, the playoff projection for the West, has the Clippers at a 78.1% chance to reach the postseason. If you look at just the odds, that ends up putting them on pace for the seven seed, which would be the top play-in seed. If you look at 538, they put the Clippers at a 69% playoff chance, which is also seventh highest in the West. So both of them are kind of on the on the frame of mind that, all right, the Clippers are going through all these injuries and stuff, but they still are basically enough to finish around 500. And to that point, 538 projects the Clippers at 41 and 41. BP, ESPN's BPI projects them at 42 and 40. So basically right around, you know, the, the 500 mark. And look, 
I'm going to say this, and I, I understand if people are going to disagree with me. That's fine. If the Clippers get, like, the seventh spot, I consider that a win considering everything that's gone on, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, again, Marcus Morris has missed an entire month. Um, the only guy who's played all all the games this year has been is Eric Bledsoe. Like, like even Iron Man Evita Zubats have missing games due to health and safety protocols. Like, they've had to deal with so much this year. Um they've had to rely on, on like, I don't mean this is a slight, but like Brandon Boston has had to play in a lot of minutes. Amir Coffey's had to play a lot of minutes. And, um, you know, you, you even go down the line, like Keon Johnson, uh, Xavier Moon, James Ennis, like they've had to rely on guys to play heavy minutes. And uh, like, again, not as a slight, but for a team that's trying to compete for a championship, at least trying to, for now, kind of, kind of get to where they want to be. Uh, health-wise, like th- th- I, you take it. I think you kind of just take that and, and run with it. I don't. I don't think you have too many complaints, to be honest with you, because um, we talked about a lot about how the Clippers are going to lose games that they're probably not supposed to lose and uh, win games that they're probably not supposed to win. That's kind of just how the season goes. You just kind of take it and then you and you run with what you can get. I don't. I don't think you you even think twice about it because the season is so long. That you kind of just can't afford to. You got to move on. You got to bounce back. You got to have the next game mentality for wins and losses. And so, um, I, I think you know, even if they if they avoid the plan, I think that's fantastic. Um, if they're in the plan, maybe seven, eight, even nine seed. Like again, look at everything they've had to deal with. I think I think that's fine. I don't think you can really complain too much about it. Um, so I, I do think I do think that they're they're okay, regardless of, wh- of where they end up in the play- as long as they end up with a playoff seed, considering everything that's happened, I think they're okay. I mean I, I don't I don't disagree with you. And you you talked about Amir Coffee. I mean you touched on him real quick. Amir Coffee in the win against Brooklyn, fourteen points, eight rebounds, five assists. Like come on, he's been awesome. In the last, he's been awesome in the in the last six games. Amir Coffey is averaging 27 minutes a game. That's a high-level reserve number. 27 minutes a game is a high-level reserve number. He's averaged 27 minutes per game in the last six contests. 10.3 points, 5.2 rebounds, 2 assists, 1.2 steals, has a 64.2 true shooting percentage. And beyond just the 12 total assists he's had in six games, he only has one turnover. So, like, this is a guy who does everything smart. And how many times, Tomer, have we seen him make a key defensive stop, whether on the break or on a, like he's back on a three on two, he gets a stop, it kickstarts, it ignites something else. Like he's constantly in the middle of good things. I forgot which game was it. Didn't he outscore a team by himself in transition? Was it Sacramento? I think it was Sacramento. He had like eight fast break I be- points. All I, believe it was, I believe it was the Sacramento game or it might've been Boston. I, maybe. No, no, I think it was Sacramento. That was a game where not to cut you off, but again, like, he single-handedly like helped change that game. They were able to make a big run thanks to him and his you know efforts to transition. So uh, he, he's been he's been big. He's been really big for them. If you look if you look at the Brooklyn game, if you just go off of so the the stat the the, the stat the website Impredictable <laughs> has the win probability added st- statistic, and if you look at just the Brooklyn game, win probability added for the Clippers, second best mark on the team, Amir Coffee. Do you know who number one was? It's actually going to shock you. What what is the stat? Win probability added. So the the percentage of win probability a single player added to a game based on their good plays, good and bad plays. Huh? Is it Keon? Justice Winslow. Really? And by the way, interesting. That's backup center Justice Winslow right now. 
Wow. It's not just Justice Winslow. It's backup center Justice Winslow at this point. Look, taking a further, like, like an actual full view from a satellite of the season, basically. If you look at win probability added for the Clippers this season, number one is Luke Kennard. They're without him. Number two is Avita Zubats. They're without him. Number three is Terrence Mann. He's obviously still playing. Number four is Nicholas Batum. He's been out. Number five is Isaiah Hartenstein. He's been out. He's been number out. six. Number six, Amir Coffey. Wow. I did not know he's been that good for them. He's been I mean, exceedingly I did. helpful. Like, yeah, just he's he's really just been uh, just been he's a guy I think is definitely going to have a, a guaranteed contract next year. He's he should be off the two way next year. I think he's just I think he's proven that he can be an NBA level, uh, consistent NBA level guy. Um, and it's good to see. It's good to see the Clippers really developed him in their G League, and um, he's he's hopefully they can keep him here because I think that um, he can become. I think with with a little more weight that he puts on, he probably can become like a nice little two way wing. Who's who's? I think the biggest thing is that he's he's not mistake proof, but he keeps the mistakes to a very low like minimum. It's not he's not trying to do too much. He's not trying to create for himself too often he, he he's, he's been a decent off the bounce and catch and shoot three-point shooter i mean we saw against brooklyn he um immediately recognized terrence man calling him had that play set up where he's he's a short roll guy dished it out to man in the corner for three like he's just a he's just a smart low mistake basketball player and i think that's that's kind of what you need around around your stars so uh i hope the clippers are able to keep him um or they decide to keep him this 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 offseason but he's turned into a really good really really fine player for them I, I honestly think at this point it would be a mistake for them not to actually give him a guaranteed contract either later this season or, or in the off season, because like, if you end up looking at it, he's, he'll be 25 in June. So he's still 24 years old. He spent three years in their system at their G league site, running their plays at the NBA team runs. And he's been called up and been helpful all these times across the years. Clearly he's impactful in good ways when he's on the floor and here's the most impressive part to me. Remember how everyone freaked out about how not good he was during summer league because he was taking a ton, a ton of threes and like he was just generally not good in summer league and everyone freaked out about it. Turns out summer league doesn't really matter right now. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean Amir didn't didn't look great in summer league. I think we're going we can all admit that, but I don't think I don't think that number one option is kind of meant for every guy. Like I don't I don't think that you're when you're asked to some people aren't meant to shoot the ball 20 times a game or become a, a, a non-stop facilitator. Like, just not for everyone. I think the NBA is about finding your role and being a star in that role. And I think Amir is, has kind of found that. Like, I, I think his ceiling is probably a little bit more than what it is now, which is a, a nice little two-way player. Maybe not a starter, but probably an off-the-bench kind of guy who can play about 20, 25 minutes a game. Um, but, yeah, like, the summer league, like, again, it, it's hard to expect a guy – every guy to just come in there and hey, be like, Hey, take 20 shots, shoot at least 45% dish out like eight or nine. It's just like, that's not for everyone. Playmaking is not for everyone. Shot making is not for everyone. I think being, being a star in your role is, is important for a guy like Amir. And I think he's shown that he's capable of doing it. If you look at uh 538's Raptor metric, uh, which, you know, get, kind of approximates uh value for players, um, if you look at Clippers that have played at least 300 minutes and there's several of them, I don't know the exact number, but number one in the Raptor is Isaiah Hartenstein. Who's been really good. Number two is PG. Oh, that's very valid right there. Number three is Amir coffee. And number four is Vita Zubats, 
Five is Terrence Mann, six is Batum, seven's Canard. And I'm just sitting here going, if you have this guy who is very valuable every time he steps on the floor, I'm starting to wonder if like when people, when this team, whenever they get healthy, like I'm assuming they get healthy at some point, which might be the worst thing to assume with this team, but I'm assuming they do get healthy. When they do get healthy, I firmly believe Amir might have to stay in the rotation. It's tough. Uh, I, he, d- he does belong to spot in the rotation, but it's just like a good problem to have. They're just so deep. They have so many guys. You know, Nico hasn't played in a while. Isaiah's been great for the second unit. So, like, um, I think I think Amir definitely made a case to stay in the rotation. But, um, like, ultimately, I wouldn't be surprised if his role is minimized, um, you know, down to about a 10-minute-a-game guy or even fewer than that. So, um, but no, he's definitely made a case to, to play some, to play some more minutes for, for the Clippers. I, I a hundred percent think that. I did, I did not expect coming into this podcast. We'd be raved about Amir coffee for like 10 minutes, but I, I mean, I kind of feel like it's also deserved at some point. Like, you know, it just, this it is just the, is this what is it is. The, this is the, this is the Amir, Amir coffee, James Bond episode. I mean, l- listen, he's now. He should take over for Daniel Craig at this point. <laughs> Could you imagine Brian Seaman calling a Braun movie though? <laughs> like just with a mere coffee in there. <laughs> coffee jumps over the roof. He nails it. <laughs> oh my Hot God. Damn. <laughs> um, yeah. I love the fact that anytime a mere coffee gets an assist, Brian Seaman just shouts him out as the barista. That's like one of the best things. It's just very Bro, good stuff. Brian and Jim have way too much fun on their on their broadcast. It's they, so good. I love Brian and Jim so much. <laughs> they really enjoy I, themselves I really on, on their broadcast. It's 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 amazing to listen to. I love. There's some. The, I was gonna say those the broadcaster jinx the other night with Kevin Durant at the free throw line, where Brian goes. This is like clutch free throws. He goes. Uh, Durant to the free throw line. We know he doesn't miss these bricks the very next time. I'm like, oh wow, that was a very. Jim starts laughing. Jim starts laughing. (laughs) I don't want to take credit for this win, but (laughs) (laughs) the the funniest one, by the way, is when uh, Brian made a joke the other night on air. I believe it was during the Raptors broadcast and or during the Raptors game, and Brian makes a joke on air and and Jim does not acknowledge that he made the joke. So it's like five seconds of dead silence. And Brian just goes, I think I just saw a tumbleweed go by. And Jim just oh, starts laughing. Brutal. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so, It's just so funny. There, there's so there's several good broadcasts in the league. I really like the Brooklyn broadcast. I think Sarah Kustak is amazing as an analyst. It's totally understandable why the Clippers tried to hire her a couple years ago. So like there's bad broadcasts around the league too. I don't want to get into those though. My favorite is the Warriors. No, it's not. Please stop. Don't do this. <laughs> anywho, anywho, I hate you for doing that. I mean, just love those guys. You know, Should I do my Argentinian you accent? Look at, please, please stop. <laughs> stop. The upcoming schedule for the Clippers. If you're listening to this on Monday, January 3rd, then the first game that's coming up is tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's at home. They then have two days off before traveling to Phoenix for one game. And then they come back for a home and home back to back Saturday afternoon against Memphis, Sunday afternoon against Denver. And then they play Tuesday night 
against, uh, I'm sorry, Saturday afternoon against Memphis, Sunday afternoon against Atlanta, and then Tuesday night against Denver. Those are the three straight home games. Um, these are five very important games. And first off, it should be mentioned, Nicholas Batum is questionable, as is Jay Scrub for the Minnesota game. Um, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell sound like they will not, I repeat, not be playing in the game. So this is a possible chance for the Clippers to steal a win, especially with Minnesota on the second night of a back-to-back in Los Angeles. The game in Phoenix is a little bit tougher because between now and Thursday, there's the chance that Phoenix starts getting guys out of health and safety protocols. Um, Right now, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, and JaVale McGee and Abdel Nader all in health and safety protocols. The first two that would be coming out are Crowder and Ayton. Unsure if they would be out for Thursday. Everything with health and safety now is um, kind of just wait and see uh, with the guidelines and the isolation. And I, I don't even know what to call it anymore. The hiatus, I guess. So And the Delta CEOs. Y- yes, from the Delta CEOs. And then Memphis and Atlanta both have players out due to health and safety protocols. But those games are not till this coming weekend. So hard to say what's going to end up being the byproduct of which players are out, which players are in, et cetera. So look, this is a very interesting part of their schedule. At worst, at worst, they need to go two and three. Because if you can get through Denver, which will be what? Their... 42nd game of the season if you can get Uh, through denver if you can get through denver at 21 and 21 i kind of think that's a big positive so that's my mindset on it Uh, yeah i don't think i don't think you can afford to be picky with the steam right now considering everything so like uh, you take wins when you can get them obviously you don't want to lose but you can understand why um I, i do think I'm kind of with you where I think two and three is the absolute worst you need to go. And like I predicted, I'm probably going to predict, you know, wins against Atlanta and um, Minnesota with losses to Phoenix, um, Memphis and Denver. Cause those teams are all playing at a really high level right now. Um, but other than that, I just, I mean, three and two would be, would be, would, wouldn't be surprising. Uh, I think anything better than three and two might be a little bit surprising to be honest with you, but uh, yeah, they can't go worse than two and three. They need they need to go at least two and three basically just to just to kind of stave off some stuff. Um, and here's the thing: the reason this is such a big stretch too is four of these five games are against Western Conference teams. So like conference record is going to end up probably being a tiebreaker at some point. So you can't you can't drop too many games to your own conference. Like that's just how it is. So I don't know. But after that, you know, they get New Orleans and San Antonio and Indiana. So it kind of lessens a little bit, but not really. And there's so many teams now that are just stuck in mediocrity and you don't know what you're getting from any team, any night. So yeah, it's great. Um, I just don't know like what to expect from game to game results wise process wise. Everything seems fine. Like they're hustling, they're competing. People are going to complain about the rebounding numbers, but they're also down so many people that they're, I don't, I, I just don't care about it. Oddly. Like, I don't know if that makes sense though. Yeah. I mean, there's not the rebounding is an issue, but I think that again this this team is playing just as Winslow minutes at the five as most of their backup. Like they're playing small ball. Uh, Serge Ibaka has not looked great. Um, 
if we're being honest. So, like, they kind of just got – it's got to be considered a team effort, like, every single night. Um, This is a team that, like, defensively, uh, rebounding-wise, just can't take any plays off because you'll you'll see what happened, like, with Brooklyn, them getting a bunch of offensive rebounds, Uh, like in Boston or San Antonio where they got a bunch of offensive rebounds and made them pay for it. So, like – it just needs to be it's not super concerning but I, I do think that um it'd be it would help them significantly if they started closing out possessions and rebounding but i mean what i don't even know what their league rank is right now as, as as far as rebounding but it can't be good they're 26th in defensive rebound rate yeah that's that's just not gonna cut it i mean you, you I ready think... for the kicker you ready for the kicker though they're 27th in offensive rebound rate they stink at rebounding and yet, yet, top four, top four defense. I don't know how. I mean, the Clippers are the worst team allowing 12 offensive rebounds a game to their opponents. That's by far the worst. They're, part of the reason they're so great defensively, by the way, they're top 10 in opponent turnover percentage, and they are by far the best team in the league at, at not fouling. They send opponents to the line like... The, the the opponent free throw rate for them is 0.192, which is very low. That's that's by far the lowest in the league. The next closest is Utah and Oklahoma City at 0.205, which is a very large gap. Because if you look at the 0.13 difference between those teams, it's effectively the difference from second to like eighth, essentially. So like yeah, the Clippers we're talking are, are allowing historic... 17 free throws per game, which is the lowest in the league by far. Yeah, not even. Yeah, close. and if you look at if you look at per hundred possessions, um, opponent second chance points, they're twenty sixth, which is horrendous. I mean, opponents fast break points, they're twenty third, which is also horrendous. Opponents points in the paint, they're second worst, also horrendous. <laughs> this team is above five hundred. How? <laughs> I don't know. Like, like. We, we look at it, I just don't know. Like, you look at numbers. Like, we look at, all oh, this team's great on defense. They absolutely are. They absolutely are. But, like, they can't, like, rim protection-wise, oddly enough, rim protection-wise, they're actually really good. It's just that they give up so many shots at the rim that, like, at a certain point, the percentage doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, simply put, it just they have to be better there. They have to be better. Their defense has been holding up. They just got to rebound better and stop giving so many second chance opportunities, so many fast break opportunities. They, I think. I think which game was? I think it was against the Spurs where they had a. They allowed like a late. Oh no, it was OKC where they allowed a wide open dunk after a made shot or made free throw. Just, just and they did it happen. several times. Just can't happen. That OKC game, by the way, that might come back to haunt them. However, that was also the game we got to see how like exhausted they were. Because OKC, like even after, as you said, after made shots or made free throws, OKC would just run right out and get easy layups, and you're like, dude, these guys are gassed. They're not even getting back. Like their it, schedule it, is pretty, what it is for a reason. Schedule is what it is for a reason. So I mean, we'll see. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Oh, talked about coffee. I got the bond stuff off my chest. Um, no, I think I think I'm good. Honestly, I. I I think I might. I might. If we don't play COD, I might just go watch. Uh, I might just go watch Bond again. But uh, no, I think we covered pretty much everything. I mean, this the Clippers kind of are what they are. Um, 
at the moment, considering everything they have going around them. Um, so, like, it's kind of just one of those where you got to – these are the dog days of the NBA. So you kind of just got to wait and see, get to the all-star break, and that's when you can kind of um, start to look ahead to, 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 to April um, and playoff feeding and stuff like that. But I think for now it's kind of just – just got to get through these games, got to get through these, these – these um, this insane schedule and uh, you know get to the All Star break and kind of evaluate things then. Yeah, if they can get to the All Star break around five hundred, I kind of like their chances a little bit. Um, here's a fun Amir coffee stat for you though, to kind of to kind of leave us with. You ready? Yeah. He's taken eighty five shots this year, fifty five are threes, and he's only taken thirteen shots in the restricted area. I'm sure those are all dunks. Um, he's t- he's taking a lot of. I mean, no, I'm kidding. It's probably like eighty percent dunks. He has two dunks. He has what? Two dunks. He has two dunks this season. I my memory very bad right now. I don't I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> Bond has me all messed up. You see, Bond dunked on me, and that's leading me to think other people are dunking more. I just would not have imagined fifty five of his eighty five shots were three pointers. That's kind of what you want, though, shot selection-wise. I think with him, he's been. I think isn't he shooting about forty-one percent from three? Or he's shooting forty-one percent from three in his last, um, last six games. He's shooting thirty-six percent from three on the year for the season. Yeah, not bad. I think. I think. Yeah. He, I mean, this is actually crazy. So he's taken fifty-five of his eighty-five shots from three this year. Last year, he took fifty-six of hundred and three. So, and last season. If you were to add up shots inside eight feet and three-pointers, 92 of his 103 shots were either inside eight feet or from beyond the arc. That's an amazing percentage. If you look at this season, it's 75 of his 85. So it's 88% of his shots are coming inside eight feet or from three. That's a great volume for a guy. It's a great split for a guy. And it's kind of reminding me a little bit of like, Terrence Mann, remember Terrence like a year ago where it was everything's a layup or a three. That's yeah. the kind of stuff that you want out of your wings, especially when they're hyperactive hybrid wings that can play the two or the three and sometimes even the four. So, you know, I got to say Amir Terrence together has been incredible. Amir Terrence justice together has been incredible. Like you just get enough switchable wings and you can kind of, make some havoc happen i don't know but they need to get through these next couple of weeks and they've maximized i think as most of what they could uh from what they've had i, I would say 100 percent. because let's not forget like be, before we start talking like because the whole thing that i've seen fans do is like oh they shouldn't have lost the okc game maybe maybe they shouldn't have won either boston game especially the boston game where brandon boston jr is hitting turnaround half court fadeaways you know, and scoring a career high 27 points. Like that's not supposed to happen. The game against Brooklyn's not supposed to happen. So everything's evened out as far as I'm concerned in, in the games that the Clippers should have won and should have lost. It seems pretty even at this point. I'm going to leave it off with this. Um, top three Bond songs, Skyfall, um, No Time to Die, Billie Eilish, and then Sam Smith's, uh, Writing on the wall, I think is what it's called. Top we, three for we've, me. We've talked about Bond songs before. You and I have talked about James Bond so much. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm really gonna have to watch this movie again in the next twenty four hours. Oh my god, we'll go play Call of Duty in a minute. Okay, buddy. <laughs>
right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, everybody stay safe. Hope everyone's doing well. Hope everyone had a, had a great and happy and safe holiday season. Uh, like I said, early at the beginning of the podcast, my only promise is I'm going to try, I'm going to try my best to get more podcasts rolled out. So Tomer and I are going to talk, see what else we can do. So we'll work from there. Everybody stay safe and we'll talk to everyone later. Have a good night. Thank you.